Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor here at City on a Hill. I um, want to thank our band for pushing through there. I know that um, you know, look, gremlins live in electronics. And so um, if you ever saw the movie, The uh, Gremlins, um, um, they were birthed out of the church sound system, I believe this. And, and so, um, so thank you guys for pressing through. Thank you to Mark as well for, uh, for leading us by, uh, from the Cajon. Mark stepped in uh, big time. Uh, Nando, who's been uh, playing drums for us for the last several months, uh, had to go back to Brazil to get some, uh, uh, some visa stuff worked out. And so uh, Mark jumped right in and, and led us this morning from the Cajon. So thank you, Mark. And if you, uh, if you have musical talent, we would love to put it to work. So if you look in your seat, you'll find some new cards um, there is a next step card that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but you can actually mark uh, music on there and drop that in the black box in the back if uh, you're interested. Um, uh, just also, as Amy mentioned at the beginning of the service, the blue card you find in your seat, uh, we just love to get a little bit of information. This is kind of new for us. We're doing this, uh, something, breaking the cards up a little bit because you know it feels like we're, we're asked for everything from your shoe size to your mother's maiden name on these cards sometimes. And so we're trying to make it a little, little more simple. Uh, and so um, so just you, if you're a guest with us, just fill this card out. We'll give you a $5 gift card to Braska Coffee Shop as well as make a $5 donation in, uh, in your name to a local charity. Uh, and so, um, and so and we'd love for you to do that and drop that in the box in the back. Um, our values as a church are the gospel, community, and mission. The gospel is the good news uh, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus came and died for us on the cross because we were sinners who were separated from God, um, who were, uh, were separated from him because of our sinful choices. And Jesus came and died for us as the, the symbol, that is grace, that um, we, were, uh, we do not deserve this, but Jesus gives this to us. And we, anyone who wants to receive that can receive that by faith. Secondly, community. Uh, community is the idea that we were made for relationships. Um, we were made to, uh, to be in relationship with each other, and we grow in our relationship with God best when we are with other people. And then lastly, mission. Mission is the idea that the good news is just that, good news that we can't keep to ourselves. So we live our lives uh, shaped by Jesus, we demonstrate the gospel, and we declare the good news uh, to other people. Uh, just three dates that I want to put on your calendar here in the Christmas season. Um, first is our Lessons and Carol service. We have a Lessons and Carol service coming up on Saturday, December 18th. It's two weeks from yesterday. Um, and this is a unique type of service with scripture reading as well as um, Christmas songs that accompany that. So we'll have local artists who are going to be a part of that. And we do ask you to register for that ahead of time. Um, and, and the reason being is we want to make sure we have enough space. We already have about 50 people signed up for it. Most of them are not part of our church, which is really exciting. We want this to be an outreach and a blessing to our community. So make sure that you go to the church's event page, C-O-A-H Forest Hill slash events, and you can sign up on that event page. Christmas Eve, we're having a service with our other City on the Hill network churches. We are a, a network of neighborhood churches. Uh, we have uh, congregations in Brookline, Somerville and Brighton. And so we would invite all of you to come to a Christmas Eve service in Somerville. Um, we'll make sure you have the, the location, details, and time on that. And then the Sunday after Christmas, 1226, we figured we'd let you sleep in a little bit. Um, we're going to do a joint service with our City and the Hill Network churches at night, so 430 and in Brighton. So we'll make sure, again, we'll make sure I have all that information 
uh, for that. We had a little mix-up on the scripture reading this morning. I may not have given my daughter the right scripture reading, so I want to make sure that I'm going to read this for us today. So there's a little mix-up, um, but you can never have too much scripture, right? So whatever, maybe that blessed somebody. So we, uh, I hope, hopefully it did. But I want to read um, from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Uh, where it says, uh, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, we began Ephesians chapter 4 by looking at the idea of unity, how God has called us together for one common purpose, to be one people with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, united by God together as the church. And I want to make sure that we understand that unity is not the same as uniformity. Unity means that we are together. We are for each other. We're with each other. We're on the same team, but it's not uniformity. Uniformity would be making a carbon copy. So when you become a Christian, when you become a part of a church, you don't all have to look like me, talk like me, act like me, much like I don't have to do the same as you. We don't become a carbon copy, but God calls people together who are different. He calls people together uh, with different personalities and get giftings and wirings together with one common hope and one common purpose in Jesus to make Jesus known to the world. And actually, our unity is better when we are different. Our unity is better when it is diverse and we are this beautiful mosaic of God's people pulled and called together with this common goal. It's a little bit like an orchestra. I don't care how good you are at the tuba. If we had 100 tubas, it would not be very pleasant to listen to. Uh, we need different types of instruments. We need brass and woodwinds and percussion and strings. Uh, when our band plays, and like when Angie and Matt sing, they don't both sing the same melody. Someone's singing the melody and someone's singing harmony. I remember one of the coolest moments I ever had. I went to a Hootie and the Blowfish concert. And uh, all of a sudden, they, they stopped playing and everyone sang four-part harmony around one microphone. It was beautiful. It was, it's incredible how the diversity of, of tasks, the diversity of gifting, the diversity of parts all together towards one common goal actually made a more beautiful picture of the goal that they were pursuing. Unity is like that for us in the church, that every one of us plays a diverse part. Every one of us is different for the good of the whole. So last week, we talked about how we, we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We don't attain it through our work, but through the work of Christ given to us. But we maintain this unity by making it visible, by making it evident. And we make this evident as people are called together to, uh, from different places, different backgrounds, different cultures, different giftings to show the, the work of Christ. And so when we look at the transition from verse 6 to verse seven, we see a shift from all of us talking about our unity, that God is over all, through all, and in all. And in verse seven, it shifts to each one of us. And this is a pretty major shift because now we're talking about the individuals within the whole. The church, if we are going to live out our identity, we have to do so together and understand what unites us as diverse parts. Oftentimes we imagine the church like a bag of marbles. 
If you have a bag of marbles, each marble inside that bag is really individual. Like if, if you lose a marble, it's like, okay, well, what's the big deal? Because I've got a bunch of other marbles. The church isn't like that. The church in the Bible is not described as a marble, as a bag of marbles, it's described as a body. It's not described as a collection or an aggregate of individual random parts that really don't go together, but we're talking about parts that are interdependent. We're not independent of one another, we're not codependent, but we are interdependent upon one another. And that's why when we think about the church and the type of unity we have and the diversity we have in a body, we feel it. We feel it when one of us goes down. We feel it when one of us is hurting. We feel it when one of us is lost because just like a body part, when someone loses a finger, you may be able to adjust, but you're still missing that finger. It matters because each of us is uniquely made. There is only one you. There's only one you, and God has gifted you particularly to build up the body in particular ways, in a way that only you can do. We are linked together as the body, body parts interconnected by ligaments and tendons. And this is why I believe that church membership matters so much. Romans says that we are not just members of the church, we are members of one another, and that we are accountable to each other. We're accountable to leadership. And we talked about this in our church membership class yesterday, that to be a church member is saying, this is my mission and these are my people. We're in this together. And I'm gonna use how God has gifted me for the betterment of the whole. We need each other. We are better together. And the big idea that we're gonna unpack today is that every member is a minister for both the good of the gospel or for the good of the church and the advance of the gospel. I'll say that one more time. Every member is a minister for the good of the church and the advance of the gospel. So let's look at how we make this idea a reality. The first thing we see is we need to look at who receives the gift. Verse seven tells us who receives this. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I want to answer a few questions to help us understand this, and we need to understand three things. What type of grace are we given? What was given? And who is the each of us that Paul is describing? And I'm actually going to answer these in reverse order because I think it's going to better help us understand what Paul is saying. The each one of us is every Christian. If you are a follower of Jesus, when you became a Christian, when Jesus saved you, the Spirit entered your heart and made you new, the Spirit also gave you a gift that was intended for the betterment and the edification of the body of Christ. He gave you something that would be for the good of other people. And this is done so for every Christian. Now, this is something that is given. And I want to be, be clear when we talk about spiritual gifts, which is what we're talking about, it does mean being a Christian. This is something that is given by the grace of God. Um, Paul refers to this, these as spiritual gifts. And, and if you didn't grow up in church and you hear the word spiritual gift, you might be going, what in the heck is that? It's like Christmas time. Why doesn't everybody get a gift? I don't get it. But if you did grow up in church, you probably grew up somewhere on a, a continuum or a spectrum. I mean, you probably were on one end maybe where it was like hyper-focus on spiritual gifts. Anybody grew up in a church like that where it was always talking about spiritual gifts and there was a spiritual gift inventory, which was basically like a holy Enneagram test. I mean, it's just, it's just, a, it's really a personality inventory with some Bible questions. There's the other side of the spiritual gift uh, uh, spectrum that they really don't talk about it. It's just kind of ignored. We treat them as just mere abilities. But the Bible lists five, actually it's five lists of giftings that the Spirit gives us for the betterment of the body. Not just abilities, but giftings empowered by the Spirit. And I'm not gonna go through every single one of these, but from these five lists, we see things such as faith. 
There are some who have an extra measure of faith. They just seem to be always hopeful about what God is doing, and they're calling others to it as well. There's something about that person that the faith that they have makes you want to believe too. There's other giftings such as teaching, those who would be able to teach and unpack God's word in such a way that you understand it. Uh, Encouragement. Some of you are incredible encouragers. When people are around you, they just feel really loved. Um, mercy, that you, your heart is just broken for those who don't, who are, who are hurting, those who are down and out. Helps, you love to be behind the scenes and you love to do things to make everything go further and faster. And each of us is gifted in a particular way. And, and the listing that we see here in Ephesians 4 and the list across the five lists in the Bible are not exhaustive, but they're illustrative. They're illustrative of the types of giftings that God gives us to care for others. And if I really were to put these in three major headings, I would say that there are the types of gifts that communicate truth, the types of gifts that meet needs, and the types of gifts that give direction. So there's some that are just able to communicate truth, either through exhortation, really being able to call you to obedience. Being able to, again, uncover God's word, to be able to communicate God's truth. There's others who meet needs. You just see a need and you're drawn toward it. It's like, you're like, you're like a moth to a flame. Like you see somebody in need and you're gone. Um, there's others who are able to give direction. This could be discernment, the ability to, to look at someone's life or look at a situation and be able to, to, to see through all the, all the details. Or maybe you're just, you're an administrator. You're really organized. You're able to put order to things that helps others flourish. And these are spiritual gifts because they're empowered by God. They're they're for serving God in his way, by his grace, for the local church. They're not simply abilities or talents, but they're given by the Spirit when you become a Christian, by God's grace. And this is different from an ability because of the idea that is given by grace. When we think of grace in the Bible, there are really two senses uh, to the idea of grace. One is that it is unmerited favor. This is something given to you that uh, you didn't deserve, you didn't earn. When we think about salvation, what Jesus has done for us, we don't deserve it. We're sinners who are separated from God by our own choices. But God, being rich in mercy, as we talked about in Ephesians 2, saves us by his grace, gives us something we don't deserve. But grace also has an element that it enables us. Grace enables us to do or to believe. So again, in salvation, we're given a gift that we don't deserve in Jesus, but God also enables us to believe it and respond in faith. Here in Ephesians 4, the idea is that we are being enabled by God to do his work, something that is not necessarily natural to us. And this is why something like music is not a spiritual gift. Now, music is a gift. There are gifted musicians. That's why you don't hear me playing up here. Um, But music is a talent. But what you can actually do is God can use something like music as a vehicle to use your spiritual gifts. Sometimes, and when someone leads, you feel encouraged. When someone sings, you feel exhorted. Sometimes when someone plays, it builds your faith. And the the key word in here is the word grace, because in this context, the word grace means this gifting that we've been given, that we've been enabled for. The word grace is the word charis in Greek. We have a daughter named Charis. Um, And so uh, in other places, the word for gift is the word charismata. You may have heard that phrase. It simply means grace gift. This is something that's given to us by grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. 
The word according means that it's almost like Jesus is, is, it's like he's dealing cards. He's giving each of us something different for what we need. And it's interesting how these things work, how we receive these gifts, where God works in our lives. For some of us, it's simply God enhancing or redirecting a natural ability. So you can imagine a, a businesswoman who, is, who, who works in a Fortune 500 company and she's, she works really hard and she's really good at organizing people. She's really good at giving direction. She's, people follow her. She's a visionary. Um, and, and, but she really does it for the sake of a business, but comes to faith in Jesus. And now God can use that person also to, to help organize the church. People who have an organizational brain are a blessing to the church. Or sometimes it goes counter to your personality. It goes counter to your abilities. Um, you may not believe this. I'm a, a really a fairly introverted person. I picked a really weird career to be an introvert. Um, but God, in his grace, by saving me, prior to becoming a Christian, I had no desire to talk in public. Uh, I couldn't put two words together. I would be nervous. Uh, but I became a Christian. God changed me. And I remember the first time that I prayed in public, it was as if I could, it's like my tongue was unbound. I was able to actually speak before others and God used that gifting. Sometimes he enables us in ways that we don't expect. You probably have a mixture of gifts. There are multiple gifts that are a kind of a, a gift mix that God is using by his perfect design. And whether he gives these things to you as something that's counter to who you are or he does it in a way in enhancing who you are, he does it ultimately for his glory by his design for the good of the church. The implications for us here is this, are these. There's no need to feel superior about your gifts. One, because nobody has all the gifts. No matter how good you are at what you, God, may have, how God may have gifted you, there's someone else that we need. Secondly, there's no need to feel inadequate. Maybe you don't like your gift. Maybe you wish you had something different. You had some other ability and I think part of this is the reason of superiority and inadequacy is that we live in a city like Boston that values productivity and talent. It's competitive. Your value in your workplace is your ability to produce and to perform. But what separates a gift from an ability is God's empowerment. Tim Keller says that what makes a spiritual gift a spiritual gift is not the technical excellence of what you're doing. It's whether or not God is blessing it. It's meant to be a blessing to you as you use it and to others as you do so because every gift is needed and it glorifies God and blesses others. It also means there's no need for envy. It's easy to look at somebody else and say, man, I wish I was wired like her. I wish I could speak like him. I wish I could pray like her. On this idea, Tony Evans says that in Christ, we have the same identity and the same power. He said, imagine it like a house. He said, in a house, you have all kinds of appliances. You have a toaster, a can opener, a microwave, and a refrigerator. That They're all different appliances, but they have the same power source. And so when I plug in the refrigerator, it refrigerates. When I plug in the microwave, it microwaves. When I plug in the toaster, it toasters. Uh, when, I, when I plug in the can opener, it opens cans. But each appliance, though different, lives up to its specifications. It does what it was designed to do because each appliance is receiving the same power. And so even though you and I are different, even though you and I may be wired differently and gifted differently, each of us has an equal potential of living up to the way that God designed us. You can be what God saved you to be and I can be what God saved me to be because we're running off the same electrical currents. We don't have to be envious. And it also means that we can also celebrate every single gift. 
We need different types of work, different types of gifting in the body. When you think about a body, a body that was all biceps would look weird, right? Like no, there's no such, I mean, there's no body. There's just a bunch of biceps. It's ineffective. We need people who are different. We need people who are wired like accountants and people who are wired like artists. If we had a church full of just accountants and engineers, we would be the most efficient and boring church in history. Um, If we were a church full of artists, we would be beautiful and nothing would get done. We need both. We need different cultures, different giftings, different wirings. So this is who receives the gifts. So what gives us assurance that our gifts matter? It's who gives the gifts. Who gives the gift matters. And we see in verse 7 that the gift is given by Jesus himself. And if you look at verses 8 through 10, which follow, it seems like a really weird insertion. Okay, it seems like kind of strange. We talk about in verse 7 how it's Jesus Christ that gives the gift. You think that then we move on to what he actually gives. But in verses 8 through 10, we're told the authority with which Jesus is able to gift us. And the picture we see here is a paraphrase of Psalm 68, verse 18. And it's the picture of a conquering king, a king who is ascending his throne after battle, who's returning victorious and returning to his rightful place of rule. And it mentions captives. And so in war, a king would go out uh, and if they were victorious, there would be a parade coming back into the city and that they would lead the prisoners of war behind them as a visible picture of the defeat of the enemy. And so in, in, it also describes in Psalm 68, the gifts that were given, they would be spoils of war that would come back to the king. And so here it says the king in Psalm 68 would receive these gifts. But here in Ephesians 4, it says that the king is giving these gifts. It's this picture of the king sharing what he had earned and fought for and is giving to us. And the picture that Paul is trying to paint for us is the authority of Jesus giving us the gifting we need to advance his kingdom from his throne. And in order for Jesus to ascend the throne, he first had to descend into battle. He first had to descend into our world by coming into the lower regions and to the earth. What Paul is describing is the gospel. He's describing Jesus becoming flesh, coming to earth, and he's not coming like like a conquering king. He comes in the most humble way. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas as we sang last week, O come, O come, Emmanuel, literally God, come and take residence among us, not in power or grandeur, but in weakness and vulnerability as a baby, not in a palace, not born to a king, but born to a teenager in a manger, not a military, successful, a mighty from a mighty family, but someone who was poor and who died on a cross. Philippians 2, verses 7 through 11 says, But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was to be exalted above all, and he ascended from his place on earth, rose from the dead with captives in his train of Satan, sin, and death that had been defeated, and Jesus takes his rightful place as our king. And he does so far above the heavens. We see here that this is the expanse of his rule so that he would fill all things. 
And as he fills all things, this means that there's nothing lacking in us. There's nothing that we have not received that we need to fulfill his mission. This means he is in complete control and the gifts that he gives you are what he determines are best for you and best for the church. God makes no mistakes in the way that he wires and gifts you. If you ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this scene where winter is ending and there's this endless winter, a hundred years with no Christmas. And Father Christmas comes on the scene and he begins to give gifts and he gives uh, Mrs. Beaver a new sewing machine and Peter gets a sword and Susan gets a bow and arrow and a horn and Lucy gets a healing cordial and the talking beasts all get a warm meal. But if you, what's interesting is that if you read the rest of the story, each one of those gifts come in handy at some point. Each one of those gifts is different. And if any of those gifts had not been given, they would have lost the battle. Every gift is needed. He gives us what we need to bless the body. So let's look lastly as we close up at how we can do this at City in a Hill. How do we best use the gifts that God gives us? Well, Paul, at the end of this, of this passage, gives us a pathway for every person to flourish in the church. And it starts with leaders. It starts with the leaders that he promises to give. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And so as we look at this, I wanted us to really think of these not as five offices, but as five leadership types, five leadership qualities or bents. And so for our application, think of it as gifting, not office. And so the first one that is used is the word apostle. Um, The word apostle is used three ways in the New Testament. There are the apostles, kind of like the Beatles. Like these are people who are the ones. They're big A apostles. Uh, There was a certain group of people in the Bible who were set aside by God because they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And Jesus commissioned them and sent them with authority to not just start new churches and advance the gospel, but to actually write scripture. And so when we think about big A apostles, we think about the 12 apostles. We think about Paul. Those are people who would fall under big A apostles. They were given the same authority to write scripture as the Old Testament writers. And this is why, and I don't, again, I don't know everyone's church tradition. This is why we don't believe there are modern day apostles um, like this, because the scripture is closed. God closed this with Jesus coming. We don't believe there are big A apostles, but there's a sense in which every believer is like an apostle. If you look at John chapter 13, verse 16, uh, Jesus uses the word messenger, which is the same word for apostle to describe how we are all sent with the good news of Jesus. But what I think it was being talked about here in Ephesians 4 is those who are gifted to take the gospel into unreached places, leaders who are gifted like Titus, uh, who went to the church in Crete to plant churches as missionaries. You see this in 2 Corinthians 8. It says, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers or apostles of the church, the glory of Christ. It's a description of people being sent forth as missionaries and church planters. There are some leaders who are wired to do that. Uh, there are prophets. Uh, the second one, this differs from Old Testament prophets because Old Testament prophets were looking forward. They were foretelling of a coming Messiah. Well, again, there are no modern day prophets like that because Hebrews 11 says, or sorry, Hebrews 1 says all of those prophets were pointing forward to Jesus. And now God speaks through his son. So the New Testament gifting of prophecy is not looking forward so much as something that's going to happen, but it's foretelling. It's telling about what has happened talking about the finished work of Christ and how that has implications in our lives. 
So the new, in the New Testament gift, like the way we experience this as a church, it might be a timely word. It might be someone's special ability or insight to explain the Bible. They're sensitive to the culture and able to apply the truth of, 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 of the Christianity to that. It's someone who draws you to Jesus when they speak about him. Also evangelists. All of us are called to evangelize. We're called to tell people about Jesus, but there are some who are uniquely gifted to share and make the gospel simple. There are shepherds those who have a heart to care for other people. An actual shepherd would care for and feed and protect the sheep. They would know them by name and they would go after them when they wandered away. And here we see people who look out for others spiritually, who are praying for them, nurturing them, feeding them. And lastly, teachers, people who faithfully open the Bible, who lead you to love God and teach you to read the Bible for yourself. So if you've ever been loved and served that way by a leader in any church, I'd love for you just to say amen. Amen. I, I want this to be what it looks like for us at City on a Hill. And what this means is we need all different types of leaders, not with these leadership titles, but the roles we think are biblical in the New Testament are, are faithful elders and deacons. We have incredible elders here at City on a Hill. Um, Matt Waldrop and Matt Harris both serve as elders, loving and praying for and caring and teaching the word for this church. We have some incredible deacon candidates. We're going to a track right now uh, with six deacon candidates with Amy and Heather and Jesse and Rick and Kayla and Sue serving and leading others and serving in different ways. We have team leaders and community group leaders, all different types of wirings and giftings. And, and the reality is, is we need people who, who are vision forward people. I am always thinking about the future. I'm very, very rarely thinking about right now. I need people in my life who will help me think about right now. We need people who will help us slow down and care for the body. We need people who are behind the scenes, people who are goers, people who are supporters, because no one leader can do it all. And I want you to notice that the main task of a leader coming out of verse 11 into verse 12 is not to do, but to equip. It's not that they don't do, but their main role is to equip, to, to train and equip and develop the body for the work of ministry. So there should be a graphic on the screen if it made it in the email. There it is. Um, this is a picture of, of the way that traditionally we imagine church to happen. You have pastors and staff and leaders and like they do all the stuff and it kind of runs downhill to members and congregations. And I don't think we live that out as a church. I actually think we do a really good job of this. A biblical church is either, it's really either an upside down pyramid or a sideways pyramid. What leaders are doing is they're equipping and developing the members in the congregation to go, to go and do the work of ministry. Now, and it doesn't mean that the, that the leaders are actually coming up with all the ministries. In fact, it is God, it's God can equip you to have an idea that we equip you for. We equip for two things. We equip for the work of the ministry, and we also equip so that when this happens, uh, we equip for the building up of the body of Christ. Uh, when I was uh, when I, I grew up at First Baptist Church of Centerpoint, and I just remember in the in the uh, in the back of the bullets on the very back, it had a list of all the all the member or the uh, the staff of the church. You had the pastor, the worship pastor, youth pastor, so on and so forth. At the very bottom, it said ministers colon all members, and I'll never forget that. That was ingrained into me that every single member of a church plays a part. Every member plays a part. So how, how can you step in and use the gifting that God has called you to use? And when you do this, it builds up the body of Christ. So let's, let's imagine that you're, you're going to the gym and you're working out and you want to develop one muscle. 
You really want to develop your biceps. You know, sun's out, guns out. You really just want to develop that. Well, you can't just develop the bicep alone. In order to develop your bicep muscle, you also have to work the surrounding muscles, your forearm, the deltoids, the triceps. All those have to engage for the bicep to be able to be built up. For City on a Hill, for each person to flourish in the way that God wants us to, it's going to take every single body part working together. For us to grow in the depth spiritually we want to grow into, for us to grow numerically, for us to have an influence in our city, it's going to happen when leaders equip and members use their gifts to serve the whole body. In a small church, we are often going to feel stretched. We're going to feel like it is all hands on deck. And what this means is that you may have to do more than is actually inside of what you feel most gifted to do. And so I'm just going to ask two things of you. One is be flexible and willing. You might be asked to do something that is just not your favorite thing to do. Maybe you don't like setting up. That's okay. We all got to do it right now. Um, maybe you, maybe you're not, you don't think of yourself as a kid's person. Maybe God will grow that love in you. Be willing to do that. But also I would challenge you to lean into where you are truly gifted. And I believe that what happens is when we all lean into where we're gifted with a willingness to do whatever is asked of us, we'll actually see more people meet Jesus, which means the church grows, which means each of us get to step into and flourish in how God has designed this. I want you to pull out, there's a, um, there's a, a, a mustardish gold color card. Uh, I'd love for you to pull that out if, if you're interested in taking a next step. Um, I want, depending on where you're at, this is gonna depend on the step that you need to take. Maybe you're not serving yet. Um, or maybe you're not serving to the degree that you would like. And I think there are two reasons why we don't serve. I think one is that, we, that you know your gifts, but you're not using them. Um, that's like having a gift card that's sitting in your, on your nightstand. You're not gonna be able to use it until you actually activate it and use it. But sometimes you just don't know. Maybe you're like, I wanna serve, but I just don't know how to serve. Let us help you discover that. You can actually mark on the card if there's an area you're interested in. If you just don't know, just write, I'm willing to do anything and we'll help you discover what your gifting is. Maybe you're serving and it's time for you to step up and lead. Some of you are faithful servants that could be leading others to serve. You can mark under that grow section about a leadership track. We're gonna start a leadership track in 2022 to help those who wanna take the next step as leaders develop as leaders. And maybe for some of you, you're not yet a follower of Jesus. And you're hearing this about serving and you're hearing about what Jesus has done. And, and I really want you to understand what Jesus has done to serve you and why I believe you should take this next step. It says in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came descend, ascending or descending from heaven to earth to become like us, to serve us, to lay down his life for us. To, to bring us into right relationship with God so that he could release us to be a blessing to others. And if you've not taken that step yet, maybe your next step is to indicate that you want to follow Jesus. Maybe you're a follower, you're a follower of Jesus, but you want to be baptized and as a vis visible demonstration of what Jesus has done in you. Whatever your next step is, to be a blessing to the body. I want you to mark that on that card. You can drop it in the, on the, uh, in the box in the, in the back. But let me pray for us as we close up.